When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Today I am super excited to bring to you a Canopy-centric episode. If you're not aware of Canopy, it is one of our partners. Uh, They have streaming video and is one of the kind of top movie, TV, everything providers to our library friends. I will let our Canopy experts say more about Canopy in just a moment. But uh, before we dive into our book and movie pairings, I wanted to remind you all to rate, review, and subscribe. You can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And of course, if you want to send us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, today I am joined by Emma, Rachel, and Christian from Canopy. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. Hey, everyone. Happy to be back. Christian, would you mind giving us a better version of what Canopy is? <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, so Canopy is now part of the Overdrive family. Uh, we were acquired last year, and I actually started as that integration took place. So I'm new to Canopy, new to Overdrive, the whole deal. I say new. It's com- I'm coming up on a calendar year here. Uh, but we've been working vigorously to get library partners uh, as much video content as we can. So we're a streaming video service available through public and academic libraries. Uh, The catalog differs depending on how you access that, uh, how you access Canopy. Uh, And then we're available almost across the globe. You know, we have a very uh, big footprint, uh, especially in the United States with public and academic libraries, Canada as well, Australia, New Zealand. Uh, And then we have a growing uh, subscriber base in Europe, uh, particularly in the United Kingdom. So Uh, We're looking to grow and spread our wings under Overdrive's leadership uh, because that's why they got us, uh, because they wanted to grow (laughs) Canopy, get us in as many libraries as possible. Uh, So we tend to be, just to give you a sense of the catalog, uh, depending on the territory you're in, it's roughly 30,000 films, which is a sizable library. Uh, And it tends to be indie, art house, classic, uh, contemporary film. We have a a growing uh, set of television episodes, TV episodes. We have some great partners and suppliers in the TV realm. Uh, So if you're looking for episodic content and don't wanna commit to an entire film, we have that. And then we also have uh, one of the most important parts and I think one of the most attractive parts to our library partners, uh, particularly is our kids collection. Uh, Canopy Kids uh, is a credit-free viewing opportunity. So, uh, young ones have an opportunity to view everything from, you know, episodes of Sesame Street, material from Jim Henson, uh, and, you know, runs it. We have uh, audio books and story books uh, from partners such as books. So uh, 
you know, stories that are read aloud for emerging readers, which again, we, we know is a, a important uh, component of our library partnerships. So uh, that's Canopy in a nutshell, uh, but we'll yeah. dive much deeper into, you know, the newest material on Canopy and then our back catalog. Uh, I have a film history background, so I'm proudest of the back catalog uh, and love to surface older titles as, as often as I can. Uh, no offense to new releases, but I'm often disappointed with new releases, uh, especially mm -hmm. those involving, you know, capes and superheroes. So uh, <laughs> always looking to recommend uh, what I view as better film opportunities. Uh, and Canopy has, again, a very deep collection uh, from which to explore. So always looking to surface those titles as much as I can, especially on social media. And we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Canopy. Uh, I plug that because I manage that team. So <laughs> as you <laughs> I should. Want to make, make sure I get uh, a little plug for our social media team. Uh, but that's where we often, uh, we do recommendations, staff recommendations, new to Canopy plugs. Uh, we do weekly watch lists and then anything that's timely. Uh, you know, obviously we had, you know, the recent passing of James Kahn and we had, we had some of his titles. Uh, Nichelle Nichols uh, also recently passed away. We have a beautiful documentary on uh, her efforts to diversify NASA uh, with recruiting efforts. Uh, so those are the kind of things that we often plug and promote on social media, but we're so excited to, you know, just be really welcoming our listeners to Canopy today. And I think it's a great point that there is so much diverse content, whether you are looking for the classics all the way to some hot new titles, it is all there. You can download the Canopy app. You can visit the Canopy website. Uh, the socials will be linked in the description of this episode. And also we'll have, as always, not only our book recs linked, but also the Canopy docs or movies, whatever we're, whatever we're picking from linked as well. So I'll start us off if everyone's okay with that. Um, I have kind of grouped mine together with a book and a, you know, a, a stream alike, a movie that kind of matches or a documentary, whatever fit. So my first pairing starts with a novel that I was excited to read back in March in our April Books to Watch Out for episode, and that is True Biz by Sarah Novick. So as a reminder, True Biz is an exclamation from American Sign Language that means really, seriously, you know, like real talk, uh, and just an overall, because I know I've talked about it before, but now that I've read it, I still couldn't recommend it enough. It takes place at the River Valley School for the Deaf, where the students just want to hook up, pass their finals, have politicians, doctors, and their parents stop telling them what to do with their bodies. So this novel was just really enlightening because it shows the world of a residential school for the deaf, and we follow Charlie, Austin, and February, the hearing headmistress and child of deaf adults, uh, as a series of crises, both personal and political, threaten to unravel each of them. So if you haven't read it yet, pick it up or add it to your TBR. Um, and then I'm pairing with this, the 2018 A&E documentary, executive produced by Marley Matlin, Born This Way presents Deaf Out Loud. So it's about 42 minutes, not too much to commit to there. And this special follows three predominantly deaf families as they raise their children in a hearing world. With many differing opinions about how deaf children should be raised, swirling in the social consciousness, these families work to forge their own paths forward and combat the daily social stigmas many deaf people face. So who wants to go next uh, after True Biz and Deaf Out Loud? I can jump in next, Joe. Thanks. All so right. 
I was so excited when Canopy joined the Overdrive family because I've been a Canopy kind of power user for years. And what got me interested in Canopy or what even got it on my radar years ago was the back catalog of amazing music documentaries. It's richer and deeper than anything I've seen on other platforms. So I wanted to first today talk to you maybe about two of my favorite music documentaries and then some books that I would recommend to go along with that. So the first one that is honestly one of my favorite documentaries of all time is um, Sound City, one of the greatest unsung recording studios. And this came out in 2013, so a bit of a back catalog find, and it's um, an hour and 47 minutes. Um, deep in the San Fernando Valley, behind the train tracks and amidst dilapidated warehouses was rock and roll's best kept secret, Sound City. America's greatest unsung recording studio housed a legendary one-of-a-kind recording console and became the birthplace to the seminal albums that define 20th century music. Fleetwood Mac, Neil Young, Elton John, Tom Petty, Rage Against the Machine, Nirvana, and many others all put their magic on tape within these walls. So this particular documentary is directed by Dave Grohl from Nirvana and the Foo Fighters because Nevermind was actually recorded at Sound City. And it features interviews and performances by iconic musicians who made their careers in the studio. And it tells the story of real rock and roll history and celebrates the human elements of music as Grohl gathers some of rock's greatest artists. And when I say greatest artists, I mean like Paul McCartney, like really, really the greatest artists. And they all collaborate on a new album. And so you get to watch the album being made and listen to the music. And this was an official selection at the Sundance Film Festival, and it was a Grammy winner for Best Compilation Soundtrack. So if you watch this and then just want to listen to Dave Grohl even more, you need to check out The Storyteller by Dave Grohl, which came out last year and was a, basically an instant bestseller that so many people loved. And it's a hilarious and beautifully told memoir by Dave Grohl about um, how he gets to live out his crazy dreams he had as a young musician. And it's, you know, stories from hitting the road with his first band Scream when he was only 17, to his time in Nirvana and the Foo Fighters, getting to jam with Iggy Pop, playing at the Academy Awards, dancing with ACDC and the Preservation Hall Jazz Band, his time as a drummer for Tom Petty, and also getting to meet Sir Paul McCartney. And there's also just some really sweet personal stories about the time he flew halfway around the world for one night so he could take his daughters to the daddy-daughter dance, and then he got really sick on the plane afterwards. So it's like hilarious, really sweet stories. So it's a must read for any and all music fans. And he does narrate the audiobook himself. So audio fans definitely check this one out. That's awesome. Yeah. And then I had another one, if you don't mind, I'll keep on the music yeah. theme. Um, my other, probably my second favorite music documentary on Canopy is called The Other F Word, Punk Rock Fathers. And this came out in 2011. So it's uh, about a decade old, but I watch it like once every few years. I love it so much. And it's an hour and 40 minutes long. And it's um, what happens when a generation's ultimate anti-authoritarians, punk rockers, become society's ultimate authorities, dads. So with a large chorus of punk rock's leading men, um, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, Flea from the Red Hat Chili Peppers, Tim McElrath from Rise Against, Lars from Rancid, Ron Reyes from Black Flag, Fat Mike from NoFX, but the documentary mostly follows um, Jim Lindbergh of the skate punk band Pennywise, 
who I was obsessed with when I was younger, <laughs> um, and his moving and hysterical journey from um, Beltina's band's anthem, F Authority, to embracing his ultimately pivotal authoritarian role in midlife, which was fatherhood. So this is another one that just has some you know, heartbreaking stories, but also hilarious stories and just getting to see kind of the behind the scenes life of also, you know, being a father and, you know, what it means to be punk rock and even just the backstage look at life on tour, I found fascinating. So I highly recommend that one. And then I have two quick books I want to recommend if you're fans of that. And one is um, Sell Out by Dan Ozzy, which came out um, in 2021. And it's a raucous history of punk emo and hardcore's growing growing pains during the commercial boom of the early 90s and 2000s, following 11 bands as they sell out and find mainstream fame or break beneath the weight of it all. So it um, follows uh, albums by Green Day, Jawbreaker, Jimmy Eat World, Blink-182, Thursday, My Chemical Romance, Rise Against, and Against Me. So a really great book for fans of you know, punk and music in general. So last one I wanted to mention is probably one of my favorite audiobooks, but I always kind of put sort of a content or trigger warning on this one. If you listen to the audiobook, it can get pretty raunchy. So definitely listen with headphones on, but perfect if that's the kind of thing you're into. And it's called um, No Effects, The Hepatitis Bathtub and Other Stories, written by the band with Jeff Alulis. And it came out in 2016, and it's the first tell-all autobiography from one of the world's most influential and controversial punk bands. So if you watch the other F word and we're laughing hysterically at Fat Mike trying to raise his daughter, listen to this one afterwards. So fans and non-fans alike will also be shocked by the stories of murder, suicide, addiction, counterfeiting, riots, bondage, terminal illness, the Yakuza, and crazy other things. Like there's this amazing story about how they accidentally kidnapped Billy Joe from Green Day once. Like it's hilarious, but also there are times where I honestly cried. It's really kind of a roller coaster, but definitely worth listening to if that's what you're into. And it's told from the perspective of each of the band's members. So this audiobook specifically looks back at more than 30 years of comedy, tragedy, and completely inexplicable success from the band. So that's my little uh, music section. I'll pass it along to someone else. Yeah. That's actually perfect because I did have a pick that kind of falls in that same vein of like musicians, rock and roll, um, LA. So my first book pick that I'm going to tie into something awesome on Canopy is Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. That's been a huge, hugely popular book for the last several years now. I know it's got a lot of love here at the Overdrive offices, but um, Daisy Jones and the Six follows, you know, young Daisy Jones in LA uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. She's kind of the it girl of that time. And everybody knows the band Daisy Jones and the Six. They know that they split like at the absolute peak of their popularity, but nobody really knows what happened behind the scenes until now. So this book is awesome because it's told from the perspective of a bunch of different people in the band and encountered them, like the managers, the producers. So I really enjoyed the format of this book and I can see why it's really appealing in audio as well, because I know they had multiple people do the narration to give you those different perspectives. But when Daisy is sort of 20, her voice is getting noticed. She's getting noticed as an it girl. She also gets noticed by a band called The Six. 
And on the eve of their first tour, their lead singer, Billy, um, and finds out that his girlfriend, Camilla, is pregnant. He's got all this pressure, you know, with fatherhood and fame. He kind of goes a little bit wild on the road. And so you kind of have these two powerhouses, Billy and Daisy, meet up, cross paths. And they end up doing a duet together. And it's so hugely successful that that really kicks off their collaboration as Daisy Jones and the Six. So this book was great. It just really captured like the spirit, I think, what I imagine, I don't know, uh, what it was like in the late 60s, early 70s, that like rock and roll um, vibe. I loved all of the characters in this. Everybody told the story a little bit differently, which I think is so true to form. And so I saw on Canopy, this was perfect because I, you know, in this mood, um, to look at the sort of bands coming out of LA. It was a real scene. And so I would recommend Echo in the Canyon. This came out in 2018. And it's a documentary that celebrates the sort of explosion of popular music that came out of LA's Laurel Canyon in the mid 60s. Um, so as people were trying to replicate the birds, the Beach Boys, um, you know, have that sort of California sound. It was a real moment, um, you know, from 1965 to like 1967. And I think it's really cool that you can find something that you love, you know, in Libby from your library. And then we've got perfect things for you on the canopy side, if you want it. And I do that, like where you go down a rabbit hole, you find something that you love and you're like, I would love to know everything I possibly can about LA music in the sixties. Um, so this is what I thought was really cool. It just helped to sort of feed my interest in these things. So that was echo in the Canyon, um, from 2018 that you can watch on canopy. If you're feeling the Daisy Jones vibes. Yeah. I loved that documentary too. I almost picked that <laughs> for my so picks. Good. I'm so happy you loved it too, Emma. Yeah. It's really fantastic. I love when you can just kind of keep the spirit mm -hmm. of something going. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. Be, you know, I think I was really sad to have that book end. I was so. too. I loved that book. And I, I've got to say, I love the the choices you all have presented thus far because uh, they actually fall in line very closely with some recent Canopy campaigns. Uh, so we tend to do uh, these tentpole thematic campaigns on a month-to-month -month basis. Uh, and one of the ones we recently did was for Disability Pride Month during uh, during the month of July, uh, and specifically the film uh, or the TV series, uh, Joe, that you called out uh, is actually one of the films that was one of the series that was highlighted as a part of that campaign. So Deaf Out Loud, uh, Born This Way, Deaf Out Loud, the uh, uh, Marley Matlin uh, production uh, was one of the one of the uh, programs that we highlighted as a part of, uh, of Disability Pride Month. So. Uh, was glad to see that was in your list. Uh, and then all of the music heavy material, really excited to see. Uh, one of the other things we do is we reach out to kind of movers and shakers in the industry, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, writers, directors, actors or actresses, uh, specifically users of Canopy and ask them what their favorite titles are on, on the service. It's a, you know, it's a way to surface, uh, you know, kind of a diverse collection of films and get, uh, you know, some, some really interesting titles surfaced that we may not have thought of otherwise. Uh, so we reached out to the, the directors of Other Music, which is a, a 2019 documentary, specifically on the closing of a, a prominent record store in New York. And they gave us a whole collection of music documentaries as well as uh, New York-centric films and documentaries. So 
uh, was really pleased to see the music being a heavy part of, of Emma and Rachel's list. So that's, that's spectacular. Uh, with that, I'm going to take a heavy shift. Uh, I consider this film to be pretty rock and roll, but it is 100 years old. So that might be, uh, you know, uh, rock and roll of, of a, you know, several generations ago. So uh, the film I'm going to highlight is actually a silent film, and I don't want that to scare people away. Silent films are incredible titles. Uh, they are always have an audio track, so there's always music accompaniment. The inner titles are, are you know, throughout, so you get a sense of, of uh, you know, what the story is and what it's doing. Uh, but the title I want to highlight is the 1922 film Nosferatu. Uh, and the reason I'm bringing it up, well, we're, you know, one, you know, fans of horror are everywhere, right? So this is one of the earliest horror films. Uh, it's directed by F.W. Murnau, who's a very famous uh, German expressionist uh, director. Uh, and you all may be more familiar with him. Uh, John Malkovich played him in Shadow of a Vampire, which is a film about the production of this specific title of, of Nosferatu. Uh, I bring it up because it's, as I said, it's a little bit rock and roll in that it is actually an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula, but it is an unauthorized adaptation of that title, uh, which is why it's Nosferatu. And instead of Count Dracula, it's actually Count Orlock, played by Max Schreck. Uh, and again, in Shadow of Vampire, uh, years later, it would be played by Willem Dafoe. Uh, but I bring up this title, one, because it's got a great backstory. Uh, two, it is one of the most influential films you'll find from the early silent period, specifically with regard to its lighting strategy. Uh, as I mentioned, it's part of the German, German Expressionist period, uh, and that tended to be films that, uh, because they were low budget, uh, this was, again, kind of Depression-era Germany between the wars, uh, they had to kind of make do with what they had available uh, and that included, you know, the rationing of electricity. So film sets had to use very sparse lighting, what we call high key lighting. Uh, and basically, you know, you have, or I'm sorry, low key lighting, low key lighting. And again, my Hollywood background is telling me going back to high key. Anyway, uh, so it tends to be very dark areas, very bright areas. There's a stark contrast across that. That has a heavy influence on later horror films that you see. Uh, so it's a it's an invaluable title, and again, it came up on its century this year. It's uh, you know centennial anniversary, uh, so it is. It was released in 1922. Uh, now that we're in 2022, it is definitely a film to celebrate, and has gotten a lot of press recently. Again, based on its age, uh, but it it uh, it does age very well. It's a title that you can watch today and still find extremely entertaining. Uh, and again, knowing the backstory that it's unauthorized, uh, there were some legal battles over the rights of, of the film. Uh, all of that kind of plays into, again, its backstory, but it's a, it's a stupendous title to watch. And one of the films, uh, I come from a, a teaching background as well, and that was one of, one of the titles I always showed my class. Uh, so I, I felt that was the one I wanted to sneak in first. Uh, I may not get to the bottom half of my list, but I'm definitely getting Nosferatu in. Uh, it is, it, again, it's a title I think you definitely, uh, definitely will be pleased if you give it the time that it deserves. Uh, and again, it's a beautiful film to watch. It's been restored and, it, and the, the print on Canopy is, a, is a, a solid print. So 
definitely check it out. And we have very broad rights to that title. So regardless of where you live, uh, I would be willing to bet we have a version of it that you can watch. So definitely check it out. That is awesome. Uh, the thought of being able to pull up silent movies, like I wouldn't have even thought of that. You, I, I see them in my head. I see the idea of like, this is the history of film, but I would never have thought I could just pull this up and give one a watch. Uh, yeah, I think that that's important too. Like, I think a lot of you have mentioned the breadth and depth of the catalog, and it's not just some of the films that I'm going to call out later that are from 2021, uh, but you have really cool ones you know, from 1922. And I think this is interesting to see how vampires have been portrayed over time. Because as listeners of the podcast know, we are into our vampire fiction, and that certainly translates to film. So I'm intrigued to add this to my personal watch list. Absolutely. I also young enough to my first thought when you said Nosferatu was the Spongebob episode so <laughs> yeah there's so many popular culture references to this thing and you know again especially Count Orlock Count, the look of Count Orlock if you when you see the costuming and the makeup iconic right uh, so I definitely definitely and again the film professor in me is like yeah I'm gonna sneak this one in regardless of what other titles are mentioned so uh appreciate yeah, appreciate <laughs> that humoring me as a former film professor. Oh, please, you gotta sneak them in when you can. And also, if we don't make it to the bottom of your list, oh darn, I guess we'll just have to do a part two. Oops. <laughs> yeah, damn, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah, yeah you, you all know where I am, right? Yeah, you know my email address. <laughs> my next duo is from one of my all-time favorite writers, Toni Morrison. Just a quick background, if you're not familiar, Toni Morrison is from Ohio, and in 1993, she became the first Black woman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature. In 98, she received the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction for Beloved, probably my favorite of her books, and she passed away August 5th, 2019. In February, her short story, Recitatif, was published as a standalone piece for the very first time. It had been published in anthologies and other things in the past, but this is the first time it's seeing its own solo publishing. And it is a short story from 1983. It's the only short story Morrison ever wrote, and it's about Twyla and Roberta. They've known each other since they were eight years old and spent four months together as roommates in the St. Bonaventure Shelter. Inseparable then, they lose touch as they grow older, only to find each other again at a dinner, a grocery store, and again at a protest. Seemingly at opposite ends of every problem and at each other's throats every time they meet, the two women cannot deny the deep bond their shared experience has forged between them. So it keeps uh, Twyla and Roberta's races ambiguous throughout the story, and Morrison herself described the work as a story which will keep readers thinking and discussing for years to come as an experiment in the removal of all racial codes from a narrative about two characters of different races for whom racial identity is crucial. So we know that one is white and one is black. We don't know who is who, and we don't know who is right about the race of the woman the girls tormented at an orphanage. So there's there's a lot to unpack there. It's a quick read because it is one of her short stories, and it is fascinating for the way that, like I said, she removed all racial codes from the narrative in which race was kind of the key motivating factor. So a fascinating read and her work is as beautiful as ever. And I am pairing this with the 2019 documentary, Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. It's two hours directed by Timothy Greenfield Sanders from Magnolia Picture Studio.
So in this documentary, Morrison describes her life, her works, and the powerful themes she has written about throughout her literary career, and includes uh, talking heads from Morrison, Oprah Winfrey, Russell Banks, Angela Davis, and Barack Obama. So if you uh, love Toni Morrison as much as I do, or you just want to, you know, kind of work your way in with a quick read, I think this is an important book for everyone right now, especially just to give us all some understanding and perspective. Um, that was written in 83. And then, of course, uh, The Pieces I Am is also just a really beautiful story. And it was super impactful to hear Toni talk about her own life. So that's that's my my next two. Rachel, you want to? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Definitely adding that one to my list. Um, I didn't want to get too myopic on this on this episode and only talk about music one, but I music um, docs. But I do have one that has some music elements. Hopefully, this will be my last time talking about music today. Um, but this one also has a tie-in to all of the amazing films that Canopy has that focus on the LGBTQ plus community, which is a very, to me, impressive aspect of Canopy. And I do appreciate how Canopy does market those films and how they promote the films and how they're so easy to find, I think is so important. So the one that I specifically wanted to call out today was um, Strike a Pose, Madonna's Most Famous Troupe of Dancers. And this was from um, 2016. And in 1990, seven young male dancers six gay and one straight, joined Madonna on her most controversial tour on stage and in the iconic film Truth or Dare. They showed the world how to express yourself. Now, 25 years later, they reveal the truth about life during and after the tour, when they were ambassadors to the world on behalf of the LGBT community during the height of the AIDS epidemic. So Strike a Pose is a dramatic tale about overcoming shame and finding the courage to be who you are. It's insightful and heartbreaking at times, but I thought it was beautifully well done. And I recommend this highly for fans of the TV show Pose and also for fans of RuPaul's Drag Race wanting to learn their history. So the book that I wanted to tie this in with is um, The House of Impossible Beauties by Joseph Cassara. And this came out in 2018 and it's a gritty and gorgeous debut that follows a cast of gay and transgender club kids navigating the Harlem ball scene of the 80s and 90s. And um, the entire book was inspired by the real House of Extravaganza. And Jose Extravaganza is one of the dancers featured in Strike a Pose. So some really great tie-ins there so you can learn more about an amazing culture and just really get a wide range of the history there. So that was uh, my pick there. I love it. And I, yeah, I can't help but echo. I love how easy it is to find mm -hmm. LGBTQ plus titles directly in Canopy. I was trying to come up with a nice segue between that and my <laughs> next pick, but there isn't one. So we're just going to go right in to my next book uh, and stream alike. And the book is a classic. You've heard us talk about it on the podcast before, but it is The Hating Game by Sally Thorne. It's a classic enemies to lovers office rom-com. And very conveniently, it was made into a movie last year um, starring Lucy Hale and some hunky man whose name is completely gone for me, Austin Stowell. He's extremely hunky. Um, but basically... It's fun because her name's Lucy in the book and the movie too. So 
that's easy for me since the actress is also named Lucy. Uh, but Lucy is an editor. I think she's an editor at a publishing house and she and a rival um, publisher, I think they merge. That's like a, a classic case of two publishing houses merging and they're trying to navigate all the different, you know, politics of having different people come in and different hierarchies. And she's sort of put at odds with this guy, Josh, and um, they just sort of have to one up each other in everything they do, even though um, I think their jobs are not the same, if I recall, in that. And um, the thing that gets complicated with them is as much as they can't stand each other, as much as they're very much competitors in their workspace, there is a natural chemistry between them and obviously a growing attraction. This is my favorite type of romance. So I love to see this uh, in a film and this ticked all of the boxes. There was really good tension. Um, it was pleasant. And for me with my like extracurricular reading, streaming, I really just need things to be pleasant um, right now and always. And so for me, this really was that. And as much as they like to build up the tension and the drama, the tagline for this film is love is war. Um, there were some very sweet and wonderful moments tucked into here as well. So if you're a fan of rom-coms, you love an enemies to lovers, you like an office romance, um, I would definitely check out both of the book and the film, The Hating Game. And then a bonus recommendation if you're in the mood for rom-coms on Canopy is this film from 2015. I think this is an oldie but a goodie. It's called Sleeping with Other People. I don't know if any of you guys have seen this. It has so many awesome people in it. Um, Allison Bree, Jason Sudeikis. They're the two main characters who are basically serial commitment phobes, serial cheaters. They have a one night stand a long time ago and then end up running into each other many, many years later. They kind of keep crossing paths and end up becoming really good friends and confiding in each other about all of their various like romantic and relationship dramas. And like, we kind of love that where, you know, there's always that underlying tension and they're like, no, no, we're just friends. We have our own other things going on. We have all these like, mm, okay. Uh, but this film was, it has Adam Scott, Jason Sudeikis, Alison Brie, Natasha Leone, Amanda Peet, Adam Brody, and Jason Manzukis. I'm naming all of them because it's phenomenal from top to bottom. And again, for me, really ticks that box of romantic comedy. Um, I just love, this is like Jason Sudeikis. I think he's at his peak now, but, you know, on his way to his peak. I love it. That was sleeping with other people. Emma, love the choices. Rom-coms enormously popular on Canopy. Uh, the Hating Game was actually a surprise for us. We kind of underestimated how that title would do, and it did really well. Uh, so glad to see you recommend that. And then sleeping with other people. I mean, you know, Jason Sudeikis coming off of his, you know, huge wave as Ted Lasso. Uh, it, it's that same style of humor and comedy. So definitely, uh, definitely a title worth watching uh, from our friends at IFC, which we've just recently brought in a huge collection of IFC films to our, our U.S. Uh, market. So if you're a U.S. viewer, definitely strongly encourage you to check out our IFC collection. It is incredible. It's a solid collection. Uh, and one that I've personally been exploring a lot because there are uh, films that, you know, had either passed me by or I hadn't had a chance to watch. And I'm definitely digging in uh, as deep as I can. With that said, Emma, I love that you said I'm going to bring up an oldie but a goodie from 2015. <laughs> 
since cinemas uh, got you know over 100 years of history i'm going to take a deeper dive into cinema history once again i've got contemporary films on my list but uh, you all seem you all have that covered so i'm going to take a, another deep dive into our catalog uh, and the title I'm actually going to recommend is from 1948. It's a British noir title uh, called Brighton Rock. Uh, and it stars, well, it's adapted from uh, Graham Greene's uh, 1938 novel of the same name. Uh, and it stars Richard Attenborough, uh, who you all would recognize from various films. He's in a ton of films, including The Great Escape. The one title I think a contemporary audience is going to recognize him from is Jurassic Park. Uh, he's the, the, you know, founder and owner of Jurassic Park, uh, at, at Richard Attenborough. Uh, anyway, he plays a gangster named Pinky Brown, uh, and he is sensational. Uh, as I mentioned, it's a British noir title. Film noir is, uh, not necessarily a genre, but a style of filmmaking. Uh, I don't like to label it a genre per se, because it doesn't necessarily follow all the conventions of like a musical or a Western or a horror film, those types of things. Uh, so film noir can, you know, kind of run the gamut. There's, you know, neo-noir, which are set in contemporary, uh, you know, environments. Uh, and then classic noir, which was at, in its heyday in the late 40s, basically that post-war period. Uh, where everybody was a little bit disillusioned with like the grand, uh, you know, the, the golden age of Hollywood, where everything always had a happy ending. Uh, you know, again, having experienced World War II, audiences were looking for something a little bit more realistic and a little different. Uh, and that's where film noir comes into play. They tend to be very moody, very dark, including in their lighting and costuming. Uh, and Brighton Rock definitely uh, follows into that. It tended to be... Uh, originated in the US, but it grew from there. And as I mentioned, this is a British example. Uh, this film was actually remade in 2010 uh, and star it, it stars Helen Mirren. That title is coming to Canopy. Uh, so it's not there yet, but it's coming. So look for that in, in the future. It would be a great double, double feature if you watch the original uh, Brighton Rock and then have an opportunity to see, uh, to see the 2010 remake with Helen Mirren. Uh, but again, solid crime, you know, mystery, murder, everything film noir brings to the table because they tend to be, you know, it's again, dark in its appearance, but it's also dark in its narrative. Uh, and again, they, especially for modern viewers, uh, modern viewers tend to really like film noir because again, they're very similar to the, the, you know, the films of, of our day. Uh, and we do, in the month of November, we celebrate Noir-vember. Uh, so we do a big promotion on Canopy around our no Noir collection. We have a strong Noir uh, set of films that we love to surface and love to bring to our viewers. So look for that in November. But again, uh, bringing you a true classic with a 1948 film. So yeah, definitely uh, would bring Brighton Rock, add Brighton Rock to your watch list, uh, and then look for the 2010 re uh, remake coming up soon. So I am going to share my next grouping, which actually really matches Rachel's last kind of pair of, you know, titles. And my next group is all put together around the legendary club kid, James St. James. If you love RuPaul's Drag Race as much as Rachel and I do, you may know James St. James from the hit web series Transformations on WoW Presents, uh, where many makeup artists guest in and they paint James in their different traditional styles. But you may also know, if you're of a certain age, James St. James for his biography slash autobiography 
kind of because it's really kind of both party monster which was originally published as disco bloodbath when it hit shelves in the 90s it created a storm of controversy for its startlingly vivid strikingly fresh and outrageous depiction of the hedonistic world of the 90s new york club kids for whom nothing was too out there, including murder. James tells the story of Michael Aleg, to whom he was close friend and confidant, Michael's rise and fall as he's convicted of killing the drug dealer known as Angel. And of course, Canopy never disappoints me because I was like, oh, this is a great movie. Is it on there? Yes, it's on there. If you'd like, you can enjoy Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green in the 2003 film, also same name, Party Monster. Like I said, released in 20, uh, 2003 and runs one hour, 38 minutes, uh, directed by Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado uh, from Film Rise Studio. So Macaulay Culkin is Michael Aleg, Seth Green is James St. James, and it's basically, you know, prominent New York party organizer whose life spirals out of control when he bragged about killing his drug dealer on TV. It's such a cult classic these days. I love that movie so much. Such a cult classic. It's so much fun. And I just... This fell into my hands because I was obsessed with Home Alone as a kid. Mm -hmm. And if you heard, like, what has Macaulay Culkin done since then? At that time, it was just Party Monster. And I was like, well, no, now I got to know. And then I was like, uh-oh, this fits my life a little too well. I guess I need to read and watch. And so to also go with this, however, uh, James wrote a YA novel a few years ago now, I believe 2008. So in in kind of a large pivot, uh, he goes from his telling his truth to a YA story about Billy Bloom in Freak Show. Billy Bloom is gay, but it's mostly theoretical as he hasn't had much experience. When he has to move to Florida, he can't believe his bad luck. His new school is a mix of Bible bells, amber zombies, and football heroes, none of which are exactly his type. Billy's efforts to fit in and stand out at the same time are both hilarious and heartrending. In this novel, uh, James St. James uh, kind of gives a wild ride as he tells Billy's fascinating story of bravado, pain, and unexpected love inspired by his own experiences as a queer kid in Florida. And once again, come on Canopy, here we go. The companion film from 2018, one hour, 30 minutes, freak show directed by Trudy Styler from IFC Films Studio and features Anna Sophia Robb, Alexander Lo Alex Lothar, Abigail Breslin and Laverne Cox, just to drop a few names. Um, so basically it's the same story, uh, but the, the part that the book description misses out is that he's taking a stand for his individuality by running for homecoming queen. So that is Party Monster and Freak Show for your uh, club kid delights. I love that, Joe. Thank you so much for sharing that and reminding me that Party Monster exists. It's been a long time oh. since I watched those. I'm going to have to do that again soon. So I'll jump. I'll jump back in because um, I have another that I would that I consider a cult classic. Um, and this was uh, going way back. Christian, you're going to laugh. A classic from 1999. <laughs> this is um, Election featuring a young Reese Witherspoon who plays Tracy Flick, a straight A go-getter determined to be president of Carver High's student body. But popular teacher Jim McAllister, played by Matthew Broderick, decides to derail Tracy's obsessive overachieving by recruiting an opposition candidate. And I actually just rewatched this recently. And it's one of those, it's a little bit cringy rewatching it, just watching high school from the late 90s. I don't know if they could make this movie today, but 
So a little bit of a trigger warning we would probably include today, but I still, I thought it held up even just rewatching it recently. And this movie to me was, you know, because I was in high school when it came out. So this was like the movie and it got nominated for a best screenplay at the Academy Awards and nominated for best actress at the Golden Globes. So it really is a great classic that I think, you know, people roughly my age, if you want to do the math, would probably love revisiting. But the best part, and this is what I love so much about the Canopy and Libby and Overdrive pairing, is just a couple months ago in June, um, not many people know, but Election was based on a book by Tom Murata of the same name. So if you liked that and wanted to read Tracy Flick on paper, check out the book Election. But he also just a couple months ago released Tracy Flick Can't Win. And this is a follow-up to election just over 20 years later, where Tracy Flick is a hardworking assistant principal at a public high school in suburban New Jersey, still ambitious, but feeling a little stuck and underappreciated, underappreciated in midlife. Tracy gets a jolt of good news when the longtime principal abruptly announces his retirement, creating a rare opportunity for Tracy to ascend to the top job. But as we know, nothing ever comes easily to Tracy Flick, no matter how diligent or qualified she happens to be. So if anybody was wondering what Tracy Flick has been up to all these years, you get to find out in this book. So Flick fans and newcomers alike will love this compelling novel chronicling the second act of one of the most memorable characters of recent years of our time. And I really liked this audiobook. It had a really great cast of narration and it was just about six hours. So you can get through it pretty quick without a huge commitment, which I like. Sometimes I have a hard time with the really long ones. I hate to admit it. But yeah, so this is another great tie-in where you watch the movie and then you can read the sequel afterwards. So highly recommend both of those. And I think that'll probably be it for me. It's a great pairing. (laughs) I love that pairing. My next pairing, oh, I could go a couple of different ways, guys. I don't know which way I want to go. I think I'm going to shout out to uh, the book Someone Like You by Sarah Dessen. This is an older one it's we won't say it's old uh because uh in comparison it's not but i'm pretty sure this did come out in the late 90s this is one of sarah dustin's very first books and this is i think the first book i read by sarah dustin back when i was actually a teen and i remember so vividly the relationship between the two main characters their two best friends where the roles that they've always sort of fallen into uh shift And so this follows Hallie and Scarlett. They've been best friends for like their whole lives. Everybody knows that Scarlett is the popular one. She's really outgoing. And Hallie's just kind of the sidekick. She really just tags along and is in sort of Scarlett's world. And at the start of their junior year of high school, everything changes. Scarlett's boyfriend, Michael, is killed in an accident. And soon afterwards, Scarlett learns that she's pregnant with his baby. So a lot of things are thrust upon her. And for the first time, Scarlett really needs somebody to support her and take care of her. um, And that falls to Hallie. So their friendship sort of completely changes. They sort of swap roles and how they're supporting each other. Um, But I love this because a true friendship is a promise you keep forever. And Sarah Dessen just does such a good job I've talked about this on the podcast before at capturing the feelings of those years coming of age. And obviously she tackles very serious issues, but in a way that has a lot of grace and a lot of heart. And 
I love that in this book. And so when I was looking for things um, and just thinking back on films, even that have that same sort of spirit of coming of age, I actually thought immediately of the very, very popular film Lady Bird from 2017. And so that was uh, the film by directed by Greta Gerwig starring Saoirse Ronan where she's navigating high school. And in that instance, a really rocky relationship with her mother, but there's also, you know, romance, she has friends. And I think that that vibe of navigating all of those different relationships, whether they are with your parents, with your friends, with a significant other, um, is something that a lot of people can relate to and harken back to those feelings where kind of like your hormones are absolutely all over the place. And so I would definitely recommend if you like the coming of age, young adult sort of style of Sarah Dessen and want something in that same spirit that's warm and has its moments of levity, but obviously tackles things that are are a little bit more serious. I would watch Lady Bird, um, which I loved to refresh my memory on watching that on Canopy. And I forgot that Timothy Chalamet was in it. So everyone loves uh, Timothy Shamalama, as I will call him. Uh, and that was fun to remember that he was uh, in that from, from a couple of years ago. Love the selections. Once again, uh, election frequently gets brought up on our social media channels, uh, partly because of everything going on in the world. Uh, election gets mentioned a fair bit. Uh, and obviously, you know, the... Uh, talent is still, you know, still working and, and uh, appearing in many, many projects today with Matthew Broderick and, and Reese Witherspoon. So uh, really excited to see election brought up. And then Lady Bird is one of, is one of our biggest titles. Uh, it is uh, a title that is, it definitely kind of falls in that indie art house, you know, kind of uh, vibe, uh, but it's a, it's a title that uh, those fans of, of that style of filmmaking, it is a very personal project. And again, Greta Gerwig has really become a force in the film industry. Uh, you know, see her upcoming film Barbie, uh, which is, she is directing. So looking forward to seeing uh, what she continues to do both in front and behind the camera. Because uh, again, uh, she is a force to be reckoned with in the industry. Uh, since I think we're running out of time and I have got a long list of films. I am going to skip way ahead and I'm going to go with my most uh, contemporary titles and I'm going to cheat because uh, I'm going to bring up a film series. Uh, I'm not going to give you one title. I'm going to give you several. But the, the uh, films I want to bring up are the Millennium series. Uh, so The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, uh, The Girl Who Played with Fire, and The Girl Who Kicked uh, the Hornet's Nest. Uh, Canopy has all three of the original titles, all three of the original. I want to emphasize that. Uh, again, these are all based on the, on the popular books uh, by Niels Arden Opelev. Uh, so definitely encourage uh, you to dive into the, into the films. Uh, obviously it's, uh, you know, edit uh, Nomi Rapace is, is the star as Lisbeth. Uh, this series was later remade by Hollywood. Wah, wah. Um, <laughs> I'm not as, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a cinema purist. Uh, so yeah, the reimagining of films is not my favorite thing in the world, but it, it, I'll give those, those films the credit they, they deserve because they're also interesting as well. Uh, but this series of films uh, were released in 2009. They're Swedish films. Uh, and again, uh, much of it is set in Sweden, so you get a very picturesque landscape set around a very gritty story. 
Uh, I will throw in a content warning for folks that there is definitely some harder content to, to take. Uh, you know, again, it's, a, you know, got everything there. It's, you know, murder, mystery, hacking, all of that computer hacking, all of that kind of plays into this story. Uh, and it is fairly violent. So again, uh, want to throw in those asterisks uh, for, for film viewers that would like to avoid that content. Uh, you, you obviously can steer clear of this title, but for those looking for this type of content would definitely steer you toward these titles. Because uh, again, they're it, a heavy influence. You know, they were a sensation when they came out. It's so so much so. Again, Hollywood felt the need to remake them uh, with Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig. So, uh, you know, again, I'll let you watch both of those series, and you can evaluate them on your own. Uh, and feel free to share your opinions with us on on social media. Uh, but I definitely wanted to highlight the the girl with the dragon tattoo. Uh, stylistically, it is just such a, a, a vibrant film, but a vibrant film that doesn't have a, you know, kind of diverse, uh, you know, uh, color landscape. Again, it tends to be, it's a, it's a, although it's shot in color, the film incorporates a lot of black, white, and gray, because uh, again, it has kind of a dismal story to it, and they uh, reinforce that with the cinematography. Uh, and the production design. So it's a it's a series of films that I I personally love uh, and bring a lot to the to the table. And have With, to shout out for the listeners the reaction that you received from the three of us when you when you I brought up this. We were like, yep. oh. <laughs> yeah, the Swedish mm. versions of the films are so so much better. better. Yeah. And I'm not a huge fan of subtitles, but let me tell you, it did not detract at all from the mm -hmm. viewing experience. These were so, so good. I was kind of sad when they redid it because it just wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. Daniel Craig, Rooney Mara, we love you, but um, it didn't need redoing. No, I agree. Definitely didn't need to be redone, but it's, they're stellar. They're, again, they're just such a... a such an amazing set, a collection of films. Uh, and again, I'm very proud of the fact that Canopy has all of them. So definitely want to want to give that a shout out. Uh, as I do so, and as we wrap, I definitely, all of the titles we've mentioned today uh, vary by country and library. Uh, so if we mentioned a title today and you go on to Canopy and you unfortunately find that it's not available at your library, that will be the case with some films. Because again, uh, rights specific, uh, so uh, maybe a little bit different than Libby, but uh, our, our and our films come in and out of window as well. So if you go to search for something and we don't currently have it, uh, it may come back. We highlight films that are leaving the service each month. Uh, and then we also highlight the newest films to the service, but uh, encourage you to explore, dive deep into our catalog because we've got so much to offer. Uh, as does Libby, uh, you know, again, we're really uh, a great pairing. Uh, it, it, Overdrive definitely made a smart move when they brought us together because we're, mm -hmm. we are, uh, you know, peas in a pod, if you will, when it comes to, to literature. Absolutely. And Absolutely peas in a pod. Yeah. Uh, Christian, thank you for taking the time to join us today and to share only only like a hint of your beautiful list. Um, I'm just gonna demand it now, a part two, so the listeners don't have to to even say anything. We'll just we'll just get it on the books. Um, I appreciate the time, and of course, uh, anyone, if you are listening and you have questions for us, 
Uh, you can, of course, reach out professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com or our social, or of course, you can reach out to Canopy directly on social. Christian, you want to shout those one more time? Sure. We are at Canopy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'd also like to tease, if you enjoyed the content that you heard today, Canopy is in the process of developing a podcast as well. Uh, look for more on that here. We'll obviously publicize that here as, as uh, we have launch dates uh, and episode descriptions ready to go for you all. But uh, wanted to give that just a, a brief tease, uh, you know, because again, I'm excited about it. Uh, you can obviously tell here I, I bring a lot of energy to any discussion of film and look forward to returning to, to have to continue this conversation further and highlighting the films I didn't get to today. Well, thank you all so much for listening today. And instead of just happy reading, I also get to say happy watching. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. 